Good morning, church. My name is Ike Nicholson. I'm the uh, senior pastor here, and I want to welcome you all uh, for the very first Sunday of new of the new year. Uh, you probably have come with your resolutions. Um, I, we, we, my family and I decided we were going to start the new year eating healthier. Uh, we had a wonderful, healthy breakfast, fantastic, healthy lunch, and we ordered pizza that night. So uh, uh, anyway... Um, I want to uh, just very quickly share with you, uh, we have an exciting winter planned for you. Uh, I know exciting winter sounds like an oxymoron, uh, but over the next couple of weeks, three more Sundays, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about uh, uh, beginning this new year, healthy living, uh, but not just healthy in terms of our physical health, but our spiritual health as well. Following that, uh, we have our mission trip to Puerto Rico. Uh, and when they get back on the first Sunday of February, they'll be giving us their report. Uh, be in prayer for all of our uh, missionaries who will be going down there. Uh, I think they leave the 18th. Uh, Pastor Drew will be the chaplain for that trip, so please pray for him as God leads and guides those uh, folks going to Puerto Rico. And then after that, we're going to have a three-week how-to sermon getting ready for Lent. Pastor Drew calls this our lab sermon. So for those three weeks, we're going to talk about how to pray how to fast, and how to worship. And then Lent begins, which means spring's right around the corner. Now, I know for most of us, spring starts in July, around here anyway, uh, but uh, then we'll go into Lent and Easter and on through the year. So I'm excited about our future, and I pray that uh, uh, you'll be engaged, that you'll be all in uh, as we go through these next couple of months. Um, I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, I also uh, want to direct your attention to your notes. If you're taking notes uh, because of the holidays and, and lots of other uh, things, we weren't able to, to give you uh, all of the parameters and details. Uh, I want to, if, if you're taking notes or if you want to take notes, I'm going to be listing scripture references. You can write those down. I'll try to give you time. But if you're taking notes right now, I want you to write. I don't care where you write it. You can put it down here, make spaces or off to the top and figure out how to organize it. Uh, three things. Number one, joy versus happiness. Joy versus happiness. Number two, how do I find purpose or just with the word purpose? And then number three, I'm a member or just member. And uh, uh, so just that'll help you, I hope, uh, put this text, this passage, this message into some sort of uh, 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 organization for you. You know, when I wrote this, this message, I, I, I wrote it out. It, normally, it takes about, I don't know, 14, 15 pages. And I wrote about 14 or 15 pages. And last night, as I was putting it into the iPad and everything, I realized that I didn't have the font size high enough, and I had single space, not double space. When I did that, the sermon went to 23 pages. That's about 45 minutes of preaching. So I had to cut a lot. So uh, hang with me as we get through this message. I did cut a lot, so we won't be here 45 minutes. But if you found 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, let's begin reading at verse 12. Of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. 
If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. We've just listened to God's word. Please pray that God's spirit might give to me the words he would also like for us to hear. In 2019, the top 10 New Year's resolutions were diet or eat healthier, number one, exercise more, number two, lose weight, save more and spend less, number five, learn a new skill or hobby, number six, quit smoking, seven, read more, eight, find another job, nine, drink less alcohol, number 10, spend more time with family and friends. Just the other day, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but they released the results of a 2020 survey. So here are the top 10 resolutions that Americans have made for this year. Number one, actually doing my New Year's resolution. My resolution this year was not to make resolutions, and so far I'm on track. Number two, trying something new. Three, eat more of my favorite foods. Four, lose weight, which I think is precipitated by number three. Five, go to the gym. Six, be happier. Better mental health. Seven, be more healthy. Eight, be a better person. Nine, upgrade my technology. Number 10, staying motivated. In churches throughout the United States this morning, There are probably sermon series, and I've seen a number of them, entitled 2020 Vision, or some other little catchy phrase, drilling down on the New Year's resolutions that we preachers prefer for y'all to have. Y'all know what they are. I resolve to go to church every Sunday. There's one. I resolve to give more of my time, my talent, my treasure. I resolve to read the Bible every day, or I resolve to get through the Bible in this year, or at least get past Leviticus. And although I hope you do every single one of those things, I really want to go a little deeper than those things. And so over the next couple of weeks, after today, three more weeks, I want to get deeper into why we make resolutions, New Year's resolutions. What does it mean to change little things in our life and whether or not these resolutions make any difference in our lives? Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with losing weight, nothing wrong with eating healthier, nothing wrong with being healthy or happy. I wish all of that for you and more. But most resolutions seem to me to come out of a dissatisfaction about our lives, who we are, what we're doing, or how tight our clothes are. And for many, it's rooted in how we view our place in the world, in life. 
Now, I think everyone dreams about what life will be like when they grow up. As a matter of fact, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. You might be the same kind of person. One older gentleman said to me that the answer to that question is just to never grow up. Researchers have identified several factors to one's overall happiness in life. Do you know being married is considered one of the number one ways toward happiness? Being part of a faith community where we interact with that community at least two or three times a week is another marker of happiness. Regular exercise, notice that, not weight loss, but regular exercise has been identified as a way toward happiness. Here's the problem. The Bible doesn't really talk much about happiness. It talks about joy. You see the first point. Happiness is an emotion that is dependent on an outward circumstance. It is external. Whereas joy is something that is internal. Joy is something that is a part of us no matter our circumstances. It's sort of the like-love comparison. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of you who love your husbands, but most days you don't like them. When I was a youth director, uh, years ago when I was preparing for ministry, I remember uh, the pecking order uh, among the teenagers. There's girls that like guys. There's girls that like like guys. There's girls that love guys. And then there's the I'm in love with guys. You can sometimes like somebody but not love them. And there are times when you can love somebody but not like them. And the same is true with happiness and joy. You can be joyful, but not happy. And you can be happy, but not joyful. What is it we ought to be striving for? I would offer to you not happiness, but joy. You see, the Bible talks about joy as not something that happens to us, but with regard to someone with whom you and I are in relationship. For Christians, that someone is God, as revealed through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the word that the Bible uses to describe this is a word koinonia. It's a Greek word. I'm sure you've heard that. If you've been in Sunday school or in church, you've heard the word koinonia. Sometimes, excuse me, sometimes koinonia is translated in English as fellowship. Other times it's translated partnership. Other times in the Bible it's translated sharing. And then still other times the word koinonia is translated stewardship. Yep. Our relationship with God, with God's people, includes all of these meanings. Fellowship, partnership, sharing, and stewardship. This koinonia is understood with regard to three primary relationships that every single one of you have to varying degrees. Our relationship with God, our relationship with God's people, the church, and our relationships with the world. And the fullest koinonia, as we experience it as people of faith, 
you can read about in 1 John 1.3. That's the letter of John, not the gospel. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. You can go back, if you write these down, you can go back and look at them later today. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship, or koinonia, with us. And indeed, our koinonia, our fellowship, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, 8, 31, 35, and verses 37 through 39, Paul writes, What shall we say to these things? You, you might even start saying it with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? We shall separate, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the word separate reminds us that we cannot be taken out of koinonia, out of fellowship, out of connection, out of partnership with God through Christ. Now, none of these things that Paul just listened in Romans are things that make us happy. Persecution, distress, danger, sword, these aren't things we get happy about. But these are things through which we can still find joy because we're in connection with God through Jesus Christ. Paul says it himself. Joy that is known through the love of God in Christ, Jesus our Lord. You see, trying something new, is one of the resolutions that I read to you earlier, eating more of your favorite food, which then requires you to lose more weight, upgrading your technology, well, they may make you happy, but they'll all be fleeting. Once you try something new, which is great, don't get me wrong, well, then you'll need to do something else. Let me tell you, just from personal experience, driving a police car with lights and sirens the first three or four times, headed down the road faster than any other car's driving and watching cars try to figure out where to go to get out of your way, man, that's exciting for the first couple of times. Then that stupid siren starts giving you a headache and all you want to do is turn it off. You see, no matter how exciting something seems in our lives, once we've experienced it, it begins to lose its newness. It doesn't make us happy anymore. We're pursuing things that at the end of the day no longer feed who we are. Eat more of your favorite foods. Well, then you'll need to eat less of your favorite foods. Upgrade your technology. I have no clue why this is. I want to throw my technology in the bottom of a lake. Several months ago when we were studying what it means to practice Christian stewardship, we made the point that, and I, I know you all remember this, we made the point that the truest form of stewardship is fulfilling the plan 
that God has for you? What's God's plan for you? Now we're to the second point. The Bible gives us insight there, too. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, that's in your Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. I'm going to read this to you from the Good News translation. After all this, there is only one thing to say. Have reverence for God and obey his commands, because this is all that we were created for. What's your purpose? To revere God and to fulfill his commands. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. In the New Testament, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Philippians 3, verse 10, also from the Good News Translation, Paul writes, all I want, all I want. My, my children always say that. All I want, until five minutes from now, Paul says, all I want is to know Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, and become like him in his death. I don't know about that. Throughout the centuries, many Christians have tried to state this truth from Scripture succinctly. There's lots of statements, but one of the most famous comes from a document called the Westminster Confession of Faith, which has had perhaps one of the greatest influences on the Protestant church specifically. And it answers this question. What is the purpose of the human being? Quote, to, our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. Now how's that for a New Year's resolution? Well now how? How do we discover God's purpose? Well you might have heard the verse quoted something like this. Where there is no vision the people perish. Well, that passage comes from Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Proverbs 29, 18. The English Standard Version, from which I preach and do most of my studying and reading, it does really a better job of translating it. And it translates that verse this way. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. You might even be able to translate it, where there is no revelation. The people cast off restraint. You know, one of the fascinating things to me about New Year's resolutions is that they assume, resolutions assume, that we have the strength to make our lives better. Now, we do have free will, but our ability to be better people, or as we Christians call it, our sanctification, isn't our work, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we are not, I'm going to make some of you upset. As Christians, we are not to be people of vision. We are to be people of revelation. God sets the directions that he is going, and he reveals them to us. My wife, Sean, and I were talking the other night along these lines, and she said something to me profound. She said, the way to joy and contentment in life is humility and submission. When we are humble before the Lord and in the presence of one another, when we submit to God's leading in our lives, wherever that takes us, then we experience joy, contentment, success, 
I think what King Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, was trying to say in his proverb was that when the people don't have a clear word from God and each person starts casting their own vision, it leads to spiritual anarchy. This is true in the life of our church, in the life of our families, and in our own lives as well. God doesn't say to us, hey, what would you like to do for me today? I'll take whatever you can give. That's not what God says. God knows what he is doing. Now, I, I, listen, I believe God wants us to live healthier lives. He wants us to take care of our bodies and all those other things that we put in resolutions. But as we look into the new year, perhaps our resolutions have been too limiting. They're not big enough. I mean, after all, you'd think that something as simple as, well, I'm going to read a book this year all the way through, or I'm going to eat less, or I'm going to move more, would be relatively easy things to do, and none of us are able to get that done. Little things like that, and we can't do it. Then how on earth are we, in our own strength, be able to do those other things that truly gives us meaning in life by ourselves? Maybe what we should be asking is not, God, what would you have me to do this year? Maybe that's a terrible question. Maybe the right question is, God, what are you doing this year, and how can I be a part of it? Paul talks about the purpose of God in our lives in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 6. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God's, listen, God's goal for you and for me was planned out before the foundations of the world. That stuns me. Even before Adam and Eve were created, God had planned out your life, given you your purpose. In verse 9, Paul continues there in Ephesians chapter 1, quote, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Again, Paul says this in Colossians 1, verse 27. Paul states the same thing. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, God's resolution. God's New Year resolution for me and for you is that we might be like Christ, that we might experience Christ-likeness individually and corporately at South Sub Church. When the Holy Spirit accomplishes this in our lives, He is glorified and His purpose is revealed. Our relationship to Christ, in Christ, is central to seeing our purpose of God fulfilled in us. Even the most mundane 
and divisive things that happen in your life, even all of the garbage and the dirt and the brokenness in your life is something that God is using to accomplish his glory. Years ago, at my last congregation, I had arrived there about 10 years after they had built a new building. And on the east side of the building, a, a huge window, about 50, stained glass, about 15 feet by 15 feet, stood over the, the, the table and chance on platform area. And at night, uh, lights would come on, and, 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 and these wonderful colors of red and blue and green would be cast down upon the parking lot. And, and this church was, was just on the main thoroughfare coming into town. When you're coming into town at night, after these lights come on, you can't help but notice this honking huge stained glass window. About a week or so after I had started there, I got a phone call one morning. And on the other side of the phone was this gentleman. He said, are you the pastor? I said, yes. He said, I just want to call to thank you. I said, thank me. Thank me for what? He said, well, a few weeks ago, my wife left me and took our children. And it just devastated me. And so I went out one night and, and got drunk. Sounds like a country song, doesn't it? And it's true. And he said, I got so drunk, I was such a horrible state of mind that I decided I was going to take my own life. Now, just a few blocks to the north of the church is the Ohio River. And he said, I resolved that I was going to drive my truck into the Ohio River and kill myself. But thanks be to God, I don't know how else to say this, he was so drunk, he got turned around and wound up driving his truck into the church parking lot. And there, weeping and crying, he shouted out, God, if you're real, give me a sign. And at that moment, the timer on the lights clicked on. And those reds and those greens and those, and those blues cascaded down upon his truck. And that window was divided into four sections with these words, for God so loved the world. The second section, so you shall have eternal life. The third, I will make you fishers of men. And the third, I am the light of the world. He said to me, pastor, I just sat there and wept. I don't know what happened to that guy. I never heard from him again. But the following Sunday, I did something really foolish. I told the church about that experience. And I wondered what was going on because they all just sat there and stared at me with this forlorn look on their face. And after the service was over, one of the elders came up to me and he said, Pastor, well, actually he didn't say that because in Appalachia they say, Preacher, Preacher, I can't believe you told that story this morning. He said, let me tell you about that window. When we were building this church, that window almost divided our church. About half the church did not want that window in this building. The other half wanted it, but couldn't pay. they knew we couldn't pay for it. And he said, you know what happened? Some people got together and, and anonymously donated enough money to put that stupid window in. I was sure that the church was going to split over this because the folks who didn't want it now couldn't look like meanies and, and, and not have the window put in. And the folks who did want it were like, oh my goodness, the folks that don't want it are going to get mad and leave. He said, I was confident that the church was going to split. 
And I could not understand why God would want that window in this church. But now I understand. I read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we saw this word members. You know, when you and I hear the word members, now we're to the third. Just give me a few more minutes. I can get it done, I think. When we hear the word member, we often think of being a part of an organization, you know, a member of a country club or a member of a sorority or a fraternity. Even a church, church members. Did you know that the definition of the word members, meaning that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a part of something, I have rights, privileges, and responsibilities to something, that definition for the word member does not show up in the English language until 1850. Prior to that, it meant something very different. Now, the King James Version of the Bible, where we get one of the strongest and clearest translations of this passage, was done in 1611, long before the word member had the meaning that you and I understand it to be. Back in 1611, the word member literally meant an arm, a leg, or an organ. It uses the word member in that light. As a matter of fact, back in the 1600s, folks like me and you who are a part of a church weren't called members. We were called communicants. That was the word that was used. Communicants is just a real fancy word that says folks who receive communion. Now, I think that's astonishing that the description for people like me and you way back in the 1600s, wasn't about our rights and privileges as a part of a church, but that we were people who received something from the body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the body of Christ, the cup of salvation, the blood of Christ. But nevertheless, there is still honor in that word member, even in 1611. You and I are members. That is, as we are a leg, an eye, an ear, a mouth, a heart. You see, when what we've been talking about, about our purpose, our resolutions for the new year, I want to offer to you another perspective, a complementary perspective, but another perspective. You, whether or not you've gone through Pastor Joe's a, a, a class or, 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 or stood up front and made your faith declarations, whether you've accepted Christ for the first time or, or if you're a person who has received Christ but are worshiping here. And, and I understand what our Constitution says about members. But let me say to you, according to the Scriptures, if you're in Christ, you're a member. You're a leg, an eye, an ear, a heart. If you're a leg but you aren't all in, we can't run to the defense of those who are suffering. If you're an eye but, you aren't, but you're not all in, we can't see the needs around us. If you're an ear but you aren't all in, we can't hear the cry of the children or the widow. If you're a mouth and you're not all in, we can't speak the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a heart but you aren't all in, how can we love? When you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his church. His one, set apart, teaching what the apostles taught throughout the world, church. 
you became a member, an organ, who without which we can't do what has been prophetically revealed to do, to be. You have a purpose in God. You have a purpose in this world. You have a purpose at South Suburban Christian Church. It was planned before the foundation of the world. May God reveal that to you, to us, and to the world, that God might be glorified. Father God, too often we wander around wondering what our purpose in life is, what it will, uh, what, what, what needs to happen in order for us to be happy. May you reveal to us today, Father, that we've been asking the wrong questions. Not do we have a purpose, but what is our purpose in you? Not what will make us happy, but what will give us the joy of being in Christ. We pray, Father, that you will miraculously, divinely, prophetically reveal our purpose to us this day. A purpose for our lives, a purpose for our families, a purpose for South Sub Church. We walk in the assurance, O God, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Give to us humility and submission. In this moment and in this place, as Pastor Drew said to us as he led us in prayer, we open our hands in submission. What your will for us, may it be so. In Jesus' name. Amen.